My next guest on the Tea Time Sofa is Fraser Flinton, playwright and screenwriter. His latest play is based on the book Henley, The Loss of a Lifeboat by Michael Sagar Fenton, which is being performed on the 18th of December. It's an original theatre company production and promises to capture the bravery of the RNLI volunteers on Solomon Brown, who went out to rescue Union Star on that fateful night 40 years ago in South East Cornwall. Fraser has written several entertaining plays and received a Screenwriters Award in 2015, but never won quite as humbling as Into the Night, the adaptation of Pen Lee. Let's find out more. Welcome, Fraser, to Tea Time with me, Ali Monja. How's it going? Good, thank you. Very well. Fantastic. So, your latest writing project um, yeah. is off screen at the moment, isn't it? And it's actually Into the Night, um, yeah. which is going to be, I was about to say broadcast, but not broadcast, actually put on. Um, on Saturday the 18th of December so where are you at with it all right now? So it's written um, and it's cast and the uh, director um, is with the so the director Alistair um, and the um, designer are bringing it to life as we speak um, it's a really short two-week period that the uh, team have with the actors to bring it all to life. So, yeah, it's all, all happening right now. Fantastic. And, I mean, you know, I mean, quite a project, really, and the story of the Penley lifeboat, Solomon Brown. I mean, what made you come across that and decide? I mean, obviously, it's a very historical event, and that's something that you kind of specialise in. Um, but what what made what attracted you to it first off? Well, the sort of project came about. I was approached by um, Alistair Watney, the director of the piece. Um, so the production is a co-production between the original theatre um, company and uh, Martin Hayes, who's an independent producer, um, and they um, collectively um, had been aware of a book um, called. Um, Penley, The Loss of a Lifeboat, which is by uh, an author called Michael Sagar Fenton, who'd written a book. It's quite a sort of factual book of the event um, that took place on the 18th of December in 1981. Um, and they wanted to honour the 40th anniversary of that by um, staging a production. Um, and that's where I, I was kind of came in. They approached me and said, you know, would you be interested in adapting that for the stage? Um, I say the stage is kind of a, a hybrid of a piece of theatre that will have a small audience, but will ultimately, the, 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 the purpose, the sort of overall purpose is for it to be uh, broadcast, uh, live streamed on the, uh, as it's happening. So it's a hybrid between a sort of piece of theatre and a piece of film. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's how I came on board. And before that, I hadn't heard of the um, the event. I wasn't I wasn't born at that point. Um, and I, I, from the moment I read um, uh, Michael Sagoff Fenton's book, it's you know really moving. It's a very factual piece of work, but really moving. And the kind of story speaks for itself. You know, the actions of the people involved um, sort of speak for themselves. And I really feel like my sort of role in this has been to honour that story and sort of bring that to life. And it doesn't feel like it's my story. It's like, I feel like I've been really privileged to be, I suppose, bearing witness to that event and helping, I hope, you know, bring that story to people's attention, bring to 
people's attention the incredible work that the volunteers for the Royal National Lifeboat Institute, the wonderful work that the volunteers do. And I think it's something I forget. You, you forget that, you know, those people who go into the sea to rescue kind of, you know, complete strangers are volunteers, the majority of them, and the brilliant work they do. So um, to be able to you know, honour not only the disaster in 1981 and what happened then, but the people who are doing, you know, every day going out into the, into those waters and, you know, making, taking massive risks for themselves and, you know, the people that they, that they hold dear. So to be able to honour that is, feels a real privilege and hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to do it justice. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm sure it will. I mean, you've had a lot of experience, haven't you, with screenwriting? And um, also playwriting. I mean, you know, I mean, we we'd be here all day. I mean, what you know, what 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 do you think really develops you as a writer? Um, well, that's really kind. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I still don't see myself as a writer, really. I, I sort of you always feel like someone's going to yeah, if someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and go right, we, we found you out. You don't really know what you're talking about. Um, and I think. I've been lucky to sort of work with some brilliant people who've kind of created and shaped my way of working. Um, I mean, just an example in this production, it, it, it's felt like um, I've been, it, it is a piece of theatre, but it's a piece of cinema as well. And I, I was lucky enough to work with Teresa Heskins um, at the um, the New Vic in Newcastle under Lyme, which actually is where I'm originally from. And I've been done, I've done a couple of productions there that she's directed. And I really learned a lot in that process. We, uh, I had a production called um, the Astley's Astounding Adventures, and it was about the birth of the circus. And it turns out that I didn't know this, that a gentleman called Philip Astley um, was born in Newcastle under Lyme. And he kind of, as we know the circus today, in terms of being, you know, a performance in the round with acts that under under one roof was originated, he kind of originated that idea and he developed it. And um, so we wrote a play, I wrote a play and Teresa directed it, which was part circus and part, you know, so it was a real ensemble piece. And I really, really developed my, um, sort of suppose my sort of technical ability to, to think about how you, you marry, um, you know, sort of detailed narrative with sort of spec spectacle and that's something she's been is so experienced and, and, and adept at doing and I really you know that's an example of how you learn from people and you you know hopefully you you take you take the you know the bits that they the knowledge that they've got and you you apply it you know on the next thing and the next thing I suppose that's how I've I've developed I mean I I'm self-taught you know I I haven't you know got a degree in writing I haven't I don't so maybe that's slightly you know wow. where that feeling of um you know who, what makes a writer but I think I'm a writer because I write and I think if anyone writes you know depending if you have stuff on or you don't it's a, you know yeah. it's a strange industry to be in but I I hope that I just get better and each production each project you do you kind of think how am I going to tackle this one and that's always really exciting and I feel really, really lucky to have you know had those opportunities well I think that that's brilliant and as you say I mean I think you know you should just live with the fact that you are a writer because yeah, you're right maybe. I mean, you know, I mean it doesn't matter I in my eyes anyway it doesn't matter if you've got all the qualifications in the world it still doesn't mean to say that you can actually cut the mustard whereas it comes to you know a proper skill um, yeah, yeah. And, and sadly you know that is the truth of the matter as well you know it really is it doesn't mean 
you know, that you have to put a, a whack load of money behind it and a university degree to say, oh, I can write, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's something, you know, about that sort of, you know, that imposter syndrome or validation that we look for. And, you know, I studied, um, I did go to university and I graduated in 2000 and I did a performing arts degree. So I kind of, you know, was in that theatre world, but yeah. I feel like there's a real, there's a, there's a blend between, you know, being a writer and, and what we might consider as um, academia. And, and, you know, I'm not an academic, I like stories. I, I'm interested in people and how they work and interested in the world around me. And I, it doesn't make sense sometimes. So you write stuff that's kind of, you know, try and make sense of the world around you. And I think, you know, I think, and everyone's got stories in them and, you know, we've got, I've got things to say. So I think, you know, that's what makes you, makes you the thing, isn't it? You just do it. And you, you well, I mean, you, you've also won, you know, don't, don't be modest here. I mean, you've <laughs> also won a screenwriting award, didn't you, in 2015? So, yeah. I mean, you have had, you, you know, you have had an accolade. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been, I've been looking to kind of, you know, and it's, it's graft. It's like, I always think, you know, an industry... A lot, you know, many industries. It's there's the sort of pic, the picture that people paint, or the picture that maybe is painted of you, and then there's the the hard graft in between those highs that is, you know, you, you work and you put the hours in, and you, you know, somebody, um, I think it is uh, Kathy Burke who once said that, you know, this idea of having putting in your apprenticeship, you know, and kind of working hard, and as opposed to that kind of overnight success kind of thing, which I think some people are really looking to have, but most people you know a slogging away and, and motoring forward and, and that's I think if you do that stuff will happen yeah I mean well what inspired you to write in the first place I I so I how, how can I explain that so what I, I always wrote I've always written and I was a kind of secretive writer I used to actually I used to record my mum and her friends on a little you know those long eight that those long tape recorders used to have in the 80s with the buttons at the end <laughs> I bet she used to say, you. yeah well she, yeah she used to say that oh your auntie Ruth's coming around and I'd be like oh my god and so I would slide it under the settee and press record and I'd go to bed and in the morning I'd listen to it because I was just obsessed with like the not the language but gossip I suppose and what people were talking about and yeah. you know I was brought up by very you know um I suppose you'd use I don't know if that term feels dated now but strong women and it's, it's a problematic term in some ways but I understand the meaning behind it and you know um and so I was always interested in, in chat you know and, and then I but then at school if I just turned around and said I want to be a writer I went to a state school in the Midlands and it was you know it was an average school and you know good teachers but if I said I want to be a writer at that point I think I'd have been laughed out of the classroom so it's sort of acting and being on the stage and doing plays and stuff was a kind of way into that world and then I went to university and studied performing arts and I, I was writing I did, wrote a little play there but I was just really I suppose I got I had this confusion between, like I could say, being an academic and being a writer, and I was very intimidated by that world, and I still am quite intimidated by it, you know, kind of literature, and I never thought of myself in that way. So it took me a long time to kind of take get the confidence of to kind of write my first play, and I didn't write my first play till I was twenty eight. So that's um, well, I'm not going to say how old I am now, um, and so it was it was I was late I was a latecomer to it, even though I've been in the world yeah. and I you know did a bit of acting and stuff. It, it took a long time, and that was all to do with confidence. You know, if I look back now and think, I, you know, I, I teach and I teach writing to, and I see these amazing you know young people doing these, and I'm just so 
I feel really, you know, passionate about encouraging them to write and to not be intimidated by the world that tells you that you can't do it and that it's, it's, it's othering and it's kind of like, you know, you might not speak in the same language as other people. I don't mean literally in that language, or that might be a thing, but in terms of, you know, the vocabulary you use, if you, you know, if you don't see yourself represented out there, and that's why we need people to be, you know, writing different stories and, and then being produced and getting them out there. So we, so more people come forward and see, say, I can do it as well, as opposed to, you know, 20 years ago, I thought I can't. So it's, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to look back now, I suppose, and maybe have that reflection time and being asked that question, which doesn't get, you know. You know I, mean, you, you, I mean, you have written some pretty diverse stuff as well. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, you've written things like The Throne um, and <laughs> dare I say it, The Only Way is Chelsea. Yeah, um, The Only Way is yeah. Chelsea, yeah. I'm really fond of that production yeah it's um it was a production that I wrote for the takeover festival which I don't know if they do it anymore it was at York Theatre Royal and it was a brilliant festival where they would basically young young people I think from the age of 11 to 26 would take over the theatre for two weeks and that would everything from you know programming what happened directing and I applied to kind of write a play for the young people and they chose I think it was, it was my second attempt actually the first time they said no and I applied again the year later and they, they then said yeah and I wrote a play about a um a girl who's set in York it was about a 12 year old girl who becomes and at this point there was no Twitter and there was none of that there's no Instagram so it actually now it feels like it's not as radical as it felt yeah. at the time but she had a phone mobile phone and she was obsessed with anyways um anyways Essex and um Towie how do you what's, what's to, um, the only, no the anyways Essex and then what's the other one made in Chelsea so yeah. her name was Chelsea and she made in her garage with her friend because her mum had died and her dad was having a nervous breakdown. That's sort of the backdrop of the play, but which wasn't mentioned until the end. And she got obsessed with these TV shows and she created her own reality TV show in her garage with her best mates. And it was about her using that to sort of escape the sort of trauma of what was happening at home. Um, and it was a, it had a really beautiful cast. Um, three just brilliant actors um, who have gone on to do really brilliant things. Um, so yeah, that was a really, yeah. It was a, and it was a really nice to write, write a piece of work that was um, originated in a community. Um, so it was very specific to York. And I think sometimes in the real, spe in, the, in the real sort of, um, the micro, you can really explore big subjects in being very detailed yeah. in, in that location. So yeah, it was, it was a real delight to write that. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it, you know, again, another really interesting piece. I mean, obviously, you know, with Into the Night, I mean, you, you've you basically been gifted this story to, yeah, to write so, yeah. and adapt to a play. I mean, you know, a hybrid seems to be the thing right now, doesn't it, because of the mm. pandemic. I mean, how did you find that? Because you're sort of, you know, used to writing in possibly, probably two different ways. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the way we approached it is that it, it's, it's an ensemble piece. So you've got eight actors who are, so it's going to be, it's being filmed um, in a um, community hall called Alford House. I think it's a community hall, don't quote me on that, but it's Alford House, it's a public kind of building, a public building, I haven't actually been there myself, but it's being filmed there and the actors are going to be bringing the, the world of, the, of Mousel where it's set in Cornwall and the world of the boat and the world of the sea and the, the, the kind of climate, of the hurricane they're going to be bringing that to life theatrically and that's how it starts and there's a lot of direct address and narration and then it kind of slides out of that into more of a kind of cinematic piece so I 
the way I approached it was to think the framework of it is a play, a direct address that, you know, the, the, the actors are, you know, sort of, it's quite Brechtian in terms of um, uh, Brechtian being the, the sort of, you're not trying to create a world that we believe exists. We're saying we're being quite open and saying this is a theatrical world that's being created in front of you and you're, you're acknowledging that and marking that. Um, and then it slides into a more sort of, um, I suppose, naturalistic sort of um, world. So yeah, the framing device is, has a play and then within that there are these glimmers of, of cinema, I suppose. And that's really where my <laughs> sort of step back and help and, and pass the, the mantle on to Ale um, Alistair, the director and the designer and the team. And also we've got a, a camera crew. We've got three cameras. That, so there's a lot of stages that in a way I've passed the script on and go, you make it happen, which is, you know, they're, they're, they're being really ambitious with, with what we're doing and hopefully, hopefully it comes off. Yeah. I mean, it, it must've been interesting though for you to sort of put yourself probably physically and mentally back in that that situation where they were going mm. out to to rescue union store and yeah. you know and that you know what what a tragedy and I mean but the thing is is that you're right I mean the the Royal National Lifeboat Institute do an amazing job don't they and people forget yeah. that they're volunteers yeah, yeah yeah and and it's really sobering and you know you have those I try not to think about the production when it's going on because if I think about it, I could become so overwhelmed and frightened of that big one star that someone's going to put next to my name <laughs> that you go, oh God, you know, you, you do, your egos, you, you want to do a good job and you want people to like your work. So, so if I think of the production too much, I can't write. So I have to imagine it's never going to go on. That's how I imagine. I'm almost like I'm writing it for myself. But then, you know, I had a thought this morning of like, oh, it's a really ambitious project. And what if, I was thinking, what if the cameras, what if the cameras break or what if, and it's not your really, problem, though, is it? Yeah, well, well, one, it's not my problem. And also what's really, I think, important about this, not, not about, important is probably too strong a word, but what's interesting about that is the backdrop of this story is it is, it is a true story. And we are making a piece of theatre. And actually, one, if those cameras break, at the end of the day, what's going to happen? The production the production stalls for five minutes and we get it up again on its feet. What these people are doing when they go out every day is life or death stuff. You know, it's, it's, and they're, they're dropping their, you know, their teachers and, and plumbers and their, you know, that call goes out for them and they drop their life and they go and they put themselves, you know, their own life at risk. And oh, so I think you. it's really sobering and, and, and important to remember that the value of stories is really, really important. And, you know, I like to think I'm a storyteller and that the stories that we tell each other and are really important and they allow us, like I say, to understand ourselves and each other. But what's, also really important to remember is it isn't life or death and you know it is um and that whatever happens in this production or whatever happens with it in terms of on the night it's okay because what's important is we're telling the story about these these people who you know who did this this you know incredible act of bravery yeah but also those people are doing that you know day in and day out and also you know at the, you know haven't been through a pandemic and you know the, the sort of the being able to be able to recontextualize everything and, and see what is important, you know. So the, the, the NHS, all the key workers have been going through similar things, been putting themselves in danger to to help other people. And I, I think it's a thing that um, 
that Martin, um, the, the producer said that, you know, it's, it seems like it's a timely time. It, it's a good time to be telling the story because it's honoring the 40th anniversary, but also in the light of, you know, people doing brave things and courageous things. It, it sort of, again, it's a reminder of, of the things that in lots of different ways people are out there doing just to, to, to look after other people, which is really, you know, humbling. So that's... Yeah, it, it is. No, you're you're right. It is incredibly humbling, and you know what what an honour in a way to to have to be, you know, be doing that job, writing about it firsthand, yeah. and you know, um, I think that that's um, amazing thing to do. Have you ever worked with um, Alistair and Martin before? No, no, I haven't. So it's it's always it's strange this industry you kind of you know you you pick up jobs and you 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 are grateful for them and it's just been a really really great experience genuinely and um I'm really really feel just really excited to be working with them the team that they've put together the cast are is such a brilliant um sort of um a brilliant eclectic mix of people we've got Cornish um based acts we've got Robert Duncan um, and Susan Penhaligon they were featuring the cast um who are from Cornwall um, and have got local links. So I haven't worked with any of these people before, but it's so far it's been, you know, been a real pleasure. And I'm really excited to see what, what we all collectively put together because there's so many people, you know, from crew, the crew involved, to the producers, to there's so many people that come together to make those words on that page come to life. And, and it feels like it, you know, it's a real collaborative effort. And that's that's always at the heart of always at the heart of theatre and, and television and film. So yeah, very, really lucky. Oh, fantastic. And I mean, the actual performance is on Saturday, the 18th of December, but I believe it's also going to be streamed. Yes, yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to be, so it's going to be live streamed and they're going to be editing it. The, the camera crew and the production crew are going to be editing as it happens, you know, cutting from one camera to another and you're doing all that business, which I don't know how to do. Uh, so great for them. They're, they're very clever people. Um, and then it's going to be on, they're going to edit it um and then it's going to be featured on not, not featured which should i say it's going to be present online yeah yeah um, for people to um, watch um and pay and watch as, as you come you know goes yeah i can't speak you know what i'm trying to say yeah no i do completely <laughs> yeah and i think that's brilliant that it gives other people the opportunity because not everybody especially you know as the winter months are here basically a lot of people don't want to go into the theatre anymore, do they, anyway? Yeah, and also, yeah. you know, this whole hybrid thing has opened up a whole new world because yeah. it means that you don't have to go to, you know, a theatre in London or a theatre, you know, wherever, in Newcastle, wherever, you know, you can just basically go online and watch yeah. a piece of theatre, which is, you know, why didn't anyone think of that before? But there you go. It's brilliant. I think, well, I think part of it might be, be, well, not might be, obviously the pandemic, but also I always felt sometimes if I was watching something that had been recorded um, that is, you know, meant for a live audience, you feel slightly excluded. You're like, well, I'm not there. The audience are there and I'm not really, you know what I mean? You feel like mm -hmm. sort of secondary to it. Um, but I think over the pandemic and particularly for original theatre, the production, the production company, they you know, they're sort of leaders in, and have become leaders in um, creating work that is specifically for the camera in terms of it's, it's got that theatrical language to it, but it, 
is delivered to the camera and hopefully that adds even more to it so it's not so hopefully the idea is when you're watching you know it online you don't feel excluded you feel like this piece has been made for me at home to sit on my laptop or you know on my phone or to watch it on the tv or whatever however you consume it that it's made for that so um yeah and i think it's it just bringing so many more people to the theater and people and also the cost as well you know th these tickets as a rule aren't cheap you know, it's it's you know if you're going to take a, a family of four to the theatre, it's a lot. It can be a lot of money. Of so course, to be yeah. able to you know to be able to reduce that cost for people, I think is brilliant. And it's just about accessibility and allowing people to to get to get to the stories and get to the entertainment or the you know whatever whatever the purpose is. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, you know, it's been lovely to chat to you today, and you know, interesting work that you've been doing. Definitely, I mean, you are a writer. There's no uh, doubt about that. Well, no, <laughs> um, I don't. Go on, quickly, you actually, you're also a co-host, aren't you, of a podcast? Yes, which is, <laughs> now that is what I still can't get my head around. Um, so, um, a, well, I guess he's a friend of mine now, but at the point, at the point, at the point it was a colleague, another writer that I met, um, an LGBTQ plus um, writing workshop in January of 2020. Um, uh, who has since become my friend, although I've only met him once, we've made a podcast together called The 150 Marchers, um, which is about myself and um, J.D. Stewart, who's a brilliant playwright. Um, he, myself and him, we have, well, we've embarked on the attempt to find the names of the 150 people who went on the first LGBTQ plus march that took place in 1970, on the 27th of November, 1970. Um, and it took place at Highbury Field in London. Um, and it actually uh, preceded the first Pride March. So it was two years before that. And I, I was, so next year is the 50th anniversary of Pride. And we thought that was the first March, you know, the first sort of LGBT plus uh, March, but it wasn't. Um, and these incredibly inspiring um, men and, and women or people, um, they, were members of the GLF, which was the Gay Liberation Front, and they um, a man was arrested for cottaging by the police, and they the police were targeting gay men at the time, even though um, homosexuality had been decriminalised at that point. They were marching um, to, well, I suppose they were marching in defiance of the police, and it was the first march that was ever held. It was the first time that you know um, the, the gay community got together and went out into the street and kind of proclaimed their existence and the fight. And that, you know, that, that moment led to all the rights that, you know, the, the, the gay LGBTQ plus community now have. Um, so, yeah, so we've, we've documented that and we're on our second series now. Um, and yeah, it's gone really well. We've had some, and we've also alongside sort of naming the people and finding out their history and where are they from and how did they end up at the march. We've also been interviewing um, current um, campaigners and looking and asking them about you know the, the work that they do so yeah it's been a real sort of project that's come out I mean, it's no budget it's just me and jd under a duvet um as our um recording studio um but it's been had you know been received really well and um it's a really nice project to be involved in interesting stuff it really is interesting stuff and i, I think you know the whole lgbtq community kind of lends itself doesn't it to to look at human behavior as well yeah. Um, and it, how extraordinary human behaviour is, I think, as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and you know, there's a whatever um, community you're you're from. You know, a lot of people feel like outsiders. 
and, and, and you know regardless of if you and an outside you don't have to be you know small part of a marginalized community I think a lot of people can identify with feeling like an outsider and maybe that's you know current climate about the way things are and kind of the anger that people feel about lots of different things I think because we're feeling out you know we're feeling othered and I think if we can come together about that a little bit more and understand that you know that we might have different feelings and different opinions about stuff but we all probably know what it feels to know know what it feels like to be an outsider and that might be in different parts of your life and I think so yeah the point you're making about the LGBTQ plus community a lot of those members of that community feel that but it's also something that other people can connect with and I think you know if we can find these connection points between communities more then I think we'll be we'll be better for it yeah definitely I, I couldn't agree more I think you know it, it it's good to talk isn't it and communicate yeah. and yeah. share each other's stories because everybody's got a story to tell haven't they really it doesn't matter what yeah. as you said it, it doesn't matter you don't necessarily have to be in a particular community I think um you know sometimes we all feel like outsiders for whatever reason um, yeah. yeah and being allowed to sort of tell those stories and and also it's really cathartic it can you know it's cheap therapy telling your story you know <laughs> like just because yeah. it can make you feel better it can make you feel like and, and you know I think and also the thing to remember is or the thing I try and remember is someone else telling their story doesn't mean you're not able to tell yours you know I think there's this feeling that well you're telling your story so that's not giving me room to tell mine it's like well actually there's room there's ample room for everyone to tell their story and, and be listened to. And, you know, even if we don't agree with their story, to take time to listen to it and go, okay, well, why is that? What happened there? Or what I think is really, really important. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we might feel overwhelmed by, you know, too much information sometimes. But, you know, I think allowing room for, for that, for those stories is really important. Yeah, lovely. Do you know what? It's been great to meet you. It really, really oh, has, you. Fraser. And, you know, thanks for coming on Tea Time and having a, a good old chin wag about it's life. It's been lovely. Sorry, I've stuttered all my way through it. That's why oh, I'm a writer gosh, and not, that's that's why I'm a, writer and not <laughs> a public speaker. <laughs> I think um, you're great. I think, oh, you know, it, it, no, do you know what? It's talking about storytelling. Um, you know, as I said, I, I've got a background in journalism and I think, you know, that the people that just talk how they see it are the authentic people. These oh. polished speakers quite often, yeah, in my eyes, aren't all that authentic anyway. Oh, and I um and R. I um and R a lot. So yeah. you're right, you're safe, you're in safe hands. <laughs> oh, that was always really it was really lovely to speak to you, and it was nice to be able to. Yeah, just think about those things and reflect a bit because I think we, you know, you, I find a career path and all that kind of stuff. It's all about moving forward, isn't it? What's next? What's next? Be better. Be bigger. Be. And sometimes we don't stop and go. Actually, and I was, I, I, you know, I went back and looked at my CV because I thought you could ask me what I've done. I thought I don't even know what I've done. And it's actually really nice to sit and go. Oh, I did that. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, do you know what? I've done all right. <laughs> As opposed to going, oh, why haven't I got that yet? Or why haven't I got that? It's really important sometimes to just stop, isn't it? And go, okay, I've achieved something. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not from a literary background. And my dad was a glass blower. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's really important to remember that stuff, how far you've come. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, your own story. I think, you know, a lot of people kind of like lose their own story, don't they? Mm. Which is yeah. um, quite sad, really. So I think it's just being sort of true to yourself and, and recognising that. 
and, and enjoying it and for what it is, yeah. you know, because it's great to um, be passionate about something and, and live that dream, whatever that dream is, rather than, as you say, sort of setting goals and off to achieve, conquer the world. I mean, that's yeah. not, it's not really what it's all about anyway, is it? No, my dad used to say, Fraser, not everyone can set the world on fire. And I didn't know what he meant. He's passed away now. But I, I thought, I always think, yeah, you're right, Dad. It was kind of like someone's got to put the bins out, you know? And I, do, and I don't mean that flippantly. I mean, that, it, that that's the truth, isn't it? You know, this idea of being wonderful and great and achieve and push and be your best self and all that kind of stuff. It's like really good in one way, but also it can be quite destructive because it's like, well, no, it's, all, it's also okay to kind of like think about what's close to you and near you and you know, as opposed to being on the hunt for the big stuff, I think it's important to, you know, respect the seemingly small stuff, because actually putting the bins out is really important, because if you don't, the house smells, you know, it's like simple stuff sometimes. Yeah, no, I'm with you, I'm with you, definitely. Well, look, you take care and break Thank a you. leg, as they say, but yeah, yeah. yeah the, the 18th of December, I'm sure it'd be really good. And uh, I look forward to actually seeing it. I'm going to buy a ticket and, and go and see it. Brilliant. Well, online. Online, yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> way, like, the uh, new world. Yeah, the new world. So, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's great. So, yeah, you take care. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Look forward to chatting with my next guest on the Tea Time Sofa this time next Saturday. In the meantime, if you would love to get in touch about having a chat with me, you can reach me on teatime at forthenow.co.uk where you can find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on Teatime with AM. Bye for now.